0: If you would turn with me in your copies of God's Word uh, back to the prophecy of Jeremiah. That's Jeremiah's prophecy, in chapter thirty-one. Jeremiah thirty-one, and we'll commence our reading there at verse eighteen. Jeremiah the thirty-first chapter, in verse eighteen. I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself thus. Thou hast chastised me, and I was chastised, as a bullock unaccustomed to the yoke. Turn thou me, and I shall be turned, for thou art the Lord my God. Surely after that I was turned, I repented, and after that I was instructed, I smote upon my thigh. I was ashamed, yea, even confounded, because I did bear the reproach of my youth. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a pleasant child? For since I spake against him, I do earnestly remember him still. Therefore, my bowels are troubled for him. I will surely have mercy upon him, saith the Lord. Set thee up way marks, make thee high heaps, set thine heart toward the highway, even the way which thou wentest. Turn again, O Virgin of Israel turn again to these nice cities. As far the reading of God's holy word, and may he bless us under it and richly this, this evening. Well, tonight we conclude our, our brief meditation on this portion of God's word in which we think of Ephraim turning to the Lord, and as we saw last Lord's Day evening, the Lord turning to Ephraim it's quite fitting that we're taking up this theme in God's providence. Because here, as we said before, the, the, the scriptures hold out to us that wonderful promise that, that one day God will, in fact, bring our elder sister, the church of ethnic Israel, back to himself. That's really what this text envisaged, envision, envisions. rather, A wonderful moment whenever the people of God of old would once again turn to the God whom they've spurned. friend in light of the events, of course, that you and I are so well aware of this evening, just as God had promised that he would return them to the land, we do wait for God to fulfill what he's promised in this regard as well. But as we've looked at this text, you and I have noticed that here the Lord God provides for us, as it were, a cross-section of the penitent's heart. Here you and I see what the work of God's grace does as it turns a soul back to the Lord. And we saw the depth of that penitence. We saw how Ephraim is so moved to to loathe, as it were, himself, to abase himself before God, and, and all the while to exalt God's dealings with him. We also saw last Lord's Day evening that Ephraim was past, present, and forever would be. Precious in the sight of God. And because of that, Ephraim, in fact, would be turned. In that regard, friend, what we look at here is is something of a reciprocity of turning. Ephraim turns to the Lord because the Lord from eternity had turned to Ephraim. Ephraim turned to the Lord because in time, the Lord, by his grace, had moved Ephraim, turned him to himself. On our text this evening, just the last part of the 20th verse, We find really that assurance that forever, Ephraim would enjoy the Lord, his mercy, as the Lord promises to turn to him finally and forever. So I want us to take that up this evening, just the words, I will surely have mercy upon him, saith the Lord. My friend, in this text, you and I are reminded that this is a certainty. I will surely, says the Lord, have mercy upon him. Just as God, through his prophets, had promised that he would bring them into exile. Just as he had promised, through his prophets, rising up early and sending them, that if they continued in in impenitence, God would visit them with chastisement. So just as surely as all of those messages were, so also is this. God will surely have mercy. And friend, you and I, we can't miss this. Here, the Lord responds to Ephraim's cries of confession. Pleadings for mercy, with the assurance that forevermore Ephraim would have it. What this text holds out to us in a very general way, friend, is is a truth that you and I know, but but we will spend eternity meditating upon it. Those who have turned to the Lord, in fact, are forever assured of his mercy. The penitent is assured of divine mercy. I want us to consider that just very briefly this evening under two headings. I want us to consider that as this mercy is assured. And I also want us to consider this assurance as it's lodged, deployed, if you like, to assuage Ephraim's grief. And so take, first of all, the assuring element of this text. I will surely have mercy upon him, saith the Lord. Uh, The idea that this is certain to happen is certainly the emphatic element. Uh, Our translators have supplied the words surely there, uh, but rightfully so. The Lord here is saying, I will perform this. Uh, no one can let my hand. And he would assure Ephraim now that, that in light of everything that we contemplated in the 20th verse last Lord's Day evening, that Ephraim will certainly and forevermore know the Lord's mercy. My friend, as you look at this text, all of this mercy that is promised is predicated upon electing love. I want you to see that just as you look again at the 20th verse. Everything is predicated upon the idea that Ephraim was regarded by God past and presently and forevermore as precious in the sight of God, as as an object of his eternal delight. And friend, as you notice this, there's an important conjunction that I think we could overlook, and that is that the bowels of the Lord are moved because the Lord God regarded Ephraim in this way. In other words, it was electing love that was the foundation, that was the moving cause. Why Ephraim, in fact, turned to the Lord and why Ephraim was assured forever of the Lord's mercies. And friends, as you look at the 18th verse, there you find Ephraim making something of that same confession. Turn thou me and I shall be turned. And then in verse 19, whenever he says, after I was turned, I repented, all that he is saying there is, if I've turned to God, it's because he has turned to me. And if he has turned to me, it must be because of something outside of myself. All Ephraim contributed in this was his sin. All Ephraim contributed to this was the just chastisement and rebuke of God. The only true cause that moved God to be gracious to Ephraim was his electing love. And friend, as you think through the scriptures, this is is something that we can lay hold of, and we ought to. The doctrine of election is to scare none. It is to be for the everlasting consolation of God's people. In this text, we're told, just as the apostle does in Romans 9, that the purpose of election must stand. that no matter how far Ephraim went, no matter how many mountains of Bather he crossed, no matter how many walls of division he and his sin had erected between him and his God, the Lord God had purposed from eternity to overcome them all. Ephraim must be turned because he was always an object of God's electing purposes. Beloved, for those who have turned to God in truth, this text this text has been replayed in the lives of everyone who is God's elect. No matter how far they drifted from the Lord, notwithstanding the many provocations that they made, despite the fact that God often chastised them and they were insensible under his rods, Notwithstanding all of the means that they abused. friend like Ephraim, because God had set his love upon them, God overcame them all. Here, friend, you and I have a reminder that God was pleased to go after the lost sheep, even if that meant going into a great wilderness, a desert place, over great mountains of hardness and insensibility. And all that, because out of his own free and good pleasure, he had set his love upon them. Beloved, all of his electing purposes are assured. But that's not all the text holds out to us. And as we leave this 20th verse, I'd like us to meditate just very briefly on how this text is to function. Uh, What purpose is it that you and I are mindful here uh, of God's standing purposes, of his immutable counsels? Uh, As you look at this text, you notice that this is really, this 20th verse is really a response to verse 18, where the Lord says that I have heard Ephraim bemoaning himself. And he responds by saying, I will surely have mercy upon him. Friend, the function of that text is quite straightforward. Immediately, that is for ourselves, perhaps. We could take this twentieth verse and say, Well, this is for our encouragement, our encouragement to repent. Uh, This text reminds us that all of those who truly do turn to God, uh, through the workings of his grace, will be well received, will be assured of mercy forever forevermore. It's for our encouragement. And certainly that's true, but I want you to keep this text in its immediate context for a moment. Ephraim, we left in verse 18, bemoaning himself. We left him, you remember, staggering, as it were, under his grief. And this text is given as God's reply to Ephraim's mourning. Ephraim, who is, as it were, beside himself, with grief, as he contemplates the depth of his sin and the many provocations that he's lodged against the Lord and and the many ways in which he's abused mercies and insensible under correction. The Lord responds to his staggering grief with this promise. I will surely have mercy. And friend, what this text teaches us then it is something beyond just the promise that God's counsels will forever stand. It is that God, in fact, he delights. He delights to assuage the grief of penitence with assurances of pardon. He delights to remind those who are grieved and who come to him in repentance and faith to assure them of pardon, to assure them of his mercy. In order for us, I think, to appreciate this better, friend, it's important for us to remember Ephraim as we left him in verses 18 and 19. Here you have Ephraim staggering under a sense of his sin. And what does that really mean? What, What does that look like? Well, friend, first of all, we have to recognize that here, Ephraim, as it were, functions as his own accuser. Or perhaps more accurately, here Ephraim allows full vent to conscience to be his own accuser. He offers no excuse for himself. Instead, as we've seen, he offers up every reason for his own condemnation. He can't just say that he's sinned against the royal and majestic divine law. But he also must say that he's sinned against all the ways that God had sought to correct him, all the means that God had put him under. He, in other words, is clear that that his sin is greatly aggravated in its guilt. He becomes his own accuser in that sense. And friend, that is the work of genuine contrition. Genuine contrition moves the soul to allow conscience its free reign. It allows conscience to go before God and say, This is the man! That he's inexcusable. That what he's done has absolutely no grounds in itself for pardon. He is altogether worthy of divine wrath. And friend, you see this so powerfully in this altar, don't you? In Psalm 130 and Psalm 143, the psalmist there goes before God and says, None can stand before you. Justified. None. Here, Ephraim's grief is lodged in this. He, like Ezra, like Nehemiah, like Daniel, say that justice, glory, all honor and laud belong to God, but confusion belongs to us. That's Ephraim's grief. My friend, contemplate that just for a moment. Contemplate that in the context of the courtroom. The man confesses. He acknowledges the depth, the heinousness of his sin. He feels its weight and staggers under it. What would he do in the face of a human judge? A friend of Micah 6, you and I have a picture of that. You remember when we meditated on that months ago, that there the prophet brings us, as it were, into a courtroom. And there the Lord God takes upon himself the rule of judge and of barrister. He pleads his own cause against Israel and he sets before them their guilt. But you remember that Israel makes a response. And that response is, what shall I do? After God demonstrates that they have sinned against law and against love, that that after He has demonstrated their heinousness of their their rebellion, the people there are driven to a point of of almost exasperation. What can I offer? There you remember, they offer four, they really raise four questions extraordinary sacrifices. They conclude with, Shall I give the fruit? My wo- of the womb, for the sin of my soul. Friend, that's the work of contrition. In fact, true contrition will lead men to stagger in this way, and it must. Owen put it this way. Conscience is entrusted with the power of God in the soul of the sinner, and it will not betray its office in believing every report of peace. No, but this it says, and it speaks in the name of God. Guilt and punishment are inseparable twins. The sole sin God will judge. What tell you me of forgiveness? I know what my commission is, and that I will abide by. Friend, when conscience is given full reign like this, the forgiveness of God is the most astounding of things. And, as one goes on later to explain, only is it believed by a spirit-wrought faith. When contrition really grips the soul as we find it does in Ephraim, it is the most difficult thing to imagine that such sin and all of its heinousness would be forgiven by the judge of all the earth. It must be revealed from on high. And so, friend, this promise, I will surely have mercy. Beloved, here you have a picture of the Lord God coming to one who has become, as it were, his own accuser and confessor, who's allowed conscience to bring his case before the throne and has acknowledged his sin. And in response, the Lord says that he will surely have mercy. As you look at this text, friend, I want you to notice how this comes to Ephraim, however. I think we could overlook this quickly, um, but we ought not. When does Ephraim receive this assurance of pardon and of mercy? When does Ephraim receive the assurance that He would be forgiven. Friend, only after he exercises faith. And that's always the order. He hears not beforehand. The Lord will surely have mercy. He is not, his grief is not assuaged until this moment. And beloved, that is the model. Here you have a picture of of God coming to the penitent, and after he has turned to him, assuring him of his grace. And this is the model. And so, friend, here you have Ephraim not looking to itself, not even to evidences of its own sincerity. Here you have Ephraim looking only to the promise, Thou art the Lord my God. And then, friend, afterward, receiving this wonderful promise that forgiveness is indeed to be found with him, that mercies are found with the Lord. As we close this evening, there are a few questions that we have to ask ourselves from the text. And the first question really comes from all of these verses together. And that is, do we know what it is to stagger under a sense of the heinousness of sin? Well, that's a crucial question for a generation such as ours. We, we have so much in this text that is for our comfort. So much that is to encourage our repentance. But, but Ephraim's description in verses 18 and 19, surely we have to confess that's rarely seen. Do we know what Ephraim experienced at all? The second question is like it. Friend, if we know what it is to allow conscience uh, to, to plead God's case against us, to f- perform, as it were, the work of Nathan the prophet, and friend, do you know what it is to find divine forgiveness astounding? There will be nothing more astounding to your soul or to mine after we've looked at the depth of sin than to find that there is forgiveness with God. Beloved, have we forgotten that divine forgiveness is the most staggering thing that could be revealed to men? Ephraim receives this promise, but you and I, friend, we we are to receive it as men and women who hear it for the first time every time. It should be something that we find truly awesome. For our comfort, though, there's so much here. As we said at the end of this 20th verse, you have the Lord truly responding to Ephraim, seeking there to, to deal with his grief. Friend surely this ought, to, this ought to be another staggering element of the text. Because here you find God, not only interested in pardoning Ephraim, uh, and, and for that, beloved, you and I for all of eternity would extol the infinite depth of mercy. If at the end of the day, if at the end of the age, all of God's people, went all of their lives in suspense wondering if they had procured forgiveness of God, with God through Jesus Christ, and at the end of the age they found out that indeed God had forgiven them, and, and that the eternal bliss was theirs, notwithstanding the 70, 80 years of wondering, surely the church of God would extol the glory of this grace. Not one whit less. Surely it would be a matter of praise for eternity just to find that that God had indeed pardoned. Even if all of their lives they spent wondering if he had. Friend, look at the depth of divine mercy here. Not only is God pleased, not only is he pleased to pardon his people through his son, But here he demonstrates even a desire that they might enjoy that pardon and the consolations that come therefrom in this life. beloved, what can we say to these things? Surely we would cover our mouths just knowing that a pardon was ours, even if we spent all of our lives on this earth wondering if it were so but to know that God delights to give His people the comfort of that now. That He desires even to take the swaying penitent, the staggering Ephraim, and to console Him even now with these promises of mercy. Surely, beloved, we have nothing to say. Surely the grace of our God should be astounding all the more. And so the Apostles' prayer in Romans 15 Friend is indeed a promise that this is the disposition and intention of God toward his own. The God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. And so as we leave this text, beloved, we, we leave a text that should induce us to plead that God would work in us more and more what we find in verses 18 and 19. That what we see in Ephraim would be emulated in ourselves. But also, friend, in these, in these three verses, we have ample encouragement to repent, to believe. Knowing that all of those who turn to God, they are the objects of everlasting love they will assuredly be well received. They are assured of pardon. Beloved, this ought to induce us to repentance. May we then be a people who go freely and run frequently to this great fountain.